and the church NID Bibles, page 819. We're just going to read verse 9. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. You all there? This is God's ways for us today. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is God's words to us. Let's pray and ask him to meet us, to open our hearts, to speak to our lives, to show us the hope and kindness and grace that Jesus promised to us. Let's pray together. Lord, you know us and you know our need. We praise and thank you that the point at which we meet you, it is always in weakness. Lord, that unsettles us. We're not comfy there. We bring our need before you. And we praise you that with the promise of Christ, the one who stepped into the world to claim and draw people back, we praise you with the confidence that comes in here. We know you are present with us. So help us to hear and see wonderful things from your word, that you may get all the glory, that we may live for your glory, that we may enjoy your comfort and know your peace. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've already recognised the fact that it's Lucy's birthday today, so I have to start with something related to Lucy. And if you guys were to cast your eyes over to your right and see with x-ray vision through one of your bags, you will notice that she has been bought a Darth Vader mug. Hold on, Tony. Because Lucy is going through a phase of being absolutely tired of the Star Wars. And she is obsessed. Anytime she gets anywhere near the remote control, you know exactly where that's going. So whether it is the standard films, whether it is the cartoons that go with it, whether it is the new series of Obi-Wan that is out on Disney Plus channel that we have to stop and watch, it's Star Wars all the way. Now let me just unpack and debunk what Star Wars is really all about. Are you ready? Power. Am I right? Well, if you don't believe me, all the people in the fandom, the people who've got far too much time on their hands and like making YouTube clips about all the things they like about Star Wars, what do you think they talk about? The floor and the fauna in the background? Oh, sometimes they'll talk about tech. But really what they'll do is they'll rank all the Jedi Knights. And they will rank them. Tony's laughing because he's watched all those clips. <laughs> and they will rank them according to skill and accomplishment and great feats achieved and ability to overcome and deliver. And then what they will do is they will rank all the evil characters, the Lords of the Sith. And they will go back into Star Wars made a history of many centuries ago and tell great details 
of people who could wield lightsabers with great finesse because they had power. And some of you who like Star Wars will remember those permanent and immortal words of the Emperor to Yoda. Darth Vader will become more powerful than either of us. To which Yoda replies, mm. <laughs> Too much faith in your new apprentice you have. Mm. What is Star Wars really all about? Why does it get such a following? It's not just about good versus evil. It's about power to overcome. It's about accomplishment. It's about heroes. And that is why and what people talk about. Now, that's not the only domain where power, power is so enticing. Maybe it's the power of an image that you can produce that will get you followers. Maybe it's power in the political sphere. We want people who are winners, who can accomplish, who can achieve, and can bring in a brighter day. Power. And what we read in this verse of the Bible is that the living God wants you to experience power, but it will be found in the least expected places. It will be found in a way that will unsettle you and that you really don't want. But it will open up a new life to you through Jesus Christ that is totally at odds with Star Wars and politics and all the great things that we like to keep records of because it makes us feel big and important. You see, the Apostle Paul, as we've tracked through this story, has a thorn. A circumstance has come into his life that has revealed his weakness. And it didn't come by accident. It was given and sent by him, uh, by the Lord, so that he, the Apostle, would be wise to his human weakness. You know what a thorn looks like. It is a circumstance and situation that has come into your life that you cannot not think about. Do you know what I'm talking about? You cannot not feel an emote around it. It seems to speak a verdict over your life, a verdict about what your future will look like, a verdict about who you really are, a verdict about the nature and reality of hard things in a broken world. And Paul has had these again and again and again, but there is something, and we don't know what the details are, it has pierced him, and it's more than, it's more than just a tiny little thorn in your shoe or in your finger. Those are hard enough to forget. But this is something that reveals to him he is not big enough to overcome the challenges and the prospects that are ahead of him. And last week we saw how the Lord told him how to respond. Can you remember the phrase that we quote so often? But he said to me, what? What did the living God speak to the Apostle Paul in the midst of his weakness? My grace is sufficient. In other words, the Lord comes to Paul and says, despite the fact he prayed for change, the Lord comes to Paul and he says, this is my paraphrase, I know you're not okay, 
but it's going to be okay. I know you're not okay, but it's going to be okay. Now, poor Paul had been seeking power to overcome his problems. He wanted to not suffer. And yet the Lord comes to him and says, I know you're not okay, but it's going to be okay. So here's the question for us this morning. What do we actually need to do? How do we be okay when we're not okay? You see what I'm asking? Of course, our answer is use the force. Find some power. Read a book. Deal with the issue. Go to God and tell him what we expect him to deliver so that we can be more okay. And the Lord comes along and he says, I know you're not okay in this. I've brought this into your life. I'm working out a purpose in the midst of the pain. But I'm going to show you how to be okay when you are not okay. I had a conversation with my friend who was in prison recently. And um, the first thing he said when we got on the phone was this. It's finally happened, Steve. What's finally happened? And immediately as, he, as he'd said that, what ran through my mind was a number of uh, things that I knew he was most concerned and worried about as an inmate in the prison. One of which is his family and how they're getting on and the fact that he, he is powerless in his circumstance to do anything to uphold support his, his family other than pray for them. And he's enjoyed sweet times of prayer doing that. And he's heard back later how the Lord has answered prayer over the well-being of his youngsters and his family and the church that he's left. So that one popped into his mind. But he's in prison. What else do you think may be on his mind? Yeah. Being persecuted to be a Christian. In fact, I pressed him and I said, okay, what's finally happened? I've been in my first fight. Now what I can tell you is that he is regularly, almost daily, praying, Lord, will you grant me safety? Because when you're in prison, it seems like the slightest little thing can tip somebody into having a beef and a frustration with you. And although there are prison guards, and although there are systems, it is not unusual for beefs to, cre to be created, uh, frustrations and resentments to build up, and the place where it gets delivered or plays out is in violence. And it was only a couple of days before my phone call with him that he had been jumped on the way back from his work location to the wing. It happened to be that on that one day when somebody had been misinformed that my friend had grasped him up for something, it actually was the informer was the person who'd done it. But anyway, as they walked back from the wing, my friend, who would best be described as a lover, not a fighter, He'd never been in a fight in his life. Uh, plays the piano, artsy, was a journalist, uh, doesn't like violence in the slightest. He was set upon by a couple of guys, two of them pissing, grass, grass, grass. They came up behind him, they knocked him about. All the other prisoners, scarpers, bar one of the, the, his assailant's mates who was behind him, he turned to run, and a few more digs came in from him. And I asked him how it made him feel. And he said, it's confirmed all my suspicions that I am at the mercy of other people's beef. 
I said, wow, that's a powerful phrase, that. Do you believe it? And of course you would, wouldn't you? Because there's only so much you can do to be nice to people. But when somebody else acts up, there are things that are beyond his control. He's out of his comfort zone. He can't cover it all. He can't fight. He can't control other people's opinions. He's at the whim of other people's bad character. Plus there's the fact he makes mistakes. I feel like I'm at the mercy of their beef. So I said, well, are you? What do you think he said? Well, I'll tell you. So it's funny you should say that. Because the next morning, having had a load of painkillers that had been given by the staff, I slept unusually well, and I woke up in the morning praying for the two guys who'd left the beating on them. And as I opened my Bible, my Bible reading for that day was Psalm 59. I'm just going to read a couple of verses that he pointed out to me. Starts this. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Verse 9. O my strength, I watch for you. You, O God, are my fortress, my living God. And he says, Steve, it feels like I'm at the mercy of other people's beef. But only when I forget whose hands I'm really in. And he has not only given me a heart in this point of weakness and vulnerability and lack of safety to feel hope in him, he's strangely given me a desire to pray for those who attacked me. So where's the power? In that scenario, where is the real power? Or should I say, who's experiencing the real power? The ones who threw their fists, or the ones, the one who prayed for his enemy? Which one looks strong, capable, and we'll have YouTube clips written about it, which one really is a strength that goes beyond this world? Do you see what I'm getting at? And so when we try to answer the question of how can I be okay when I'm not okay, Paul tells us his strategy. You see, he's gone to preach the gospel at Corinth and people have wonderfully been brought near to Jesus. But they're still in love with power. They're still in love with the ways of the world. They have been wooed by certain teachers who say that to come near to God, you will demonstrate things of strength outwardly. You won't look broken. You won't look pathetic. You'll overcome and ride out your circumstances. You will be the hero of your own story. You can love Jesus and be strong. And it's just plausible enough for people like them and people like you and me to be won over by it. 
I don't mind telling you that I have the same problem as you. I want to be strong and powerful in myself. One of the marks of that for me, and some of you know what this means, is I've got to a point in life where I just don't want to do anything I'm not good at. Are you there? I don't want to play board games anymore. No, thank you. I don't want to dance anymore. I don't want to tidy up the house anymore. I've given up on that because I just don't like weakness. And I can justify it, I can live with it, but I just don't like to be weak. I don't like it when my incompetency shines through. I don't like it when circumstances come at me where I'm at the end of myself. I just don't feel comfortable there. But guess what? Neither do you. And that's why I love this verse in the Bible. Let's hear Paul's words that he is trying to win that church to. This is a whole different vision for life and power. It is the vision of the cross where Jesus conquers through suffering. He wins through affliction. The pattern of a life lived near real power is when you walk in an awareness of your weakness, but even more than this, and this is, look at what you do when your prayers aren't answered. Look at what you do when you're not okay. How is it you become okay? What does the apostle try to back, uh, beckon them all towards? Look at verse 9. Therefore, I will... Boast all the more gladly. I understand that that sort of prefix is, is hedo, which is close to hedonism, joy. I will actively choose to boast in the thing that I find the most uncomfortable. The circumstance and situation that I cannot overcome. The thing that has revealed that I am weak. And if you don't believe me, let's just look at the way that Paul does it. Just flip back to chapter 11 then. So he's going up against these guys who look at their power. They look to state their accomplishments, their, possession, their positions, and their possessions. They love to say, I've got this. That's their way of doing life. And these Corinthian Christians have been dragged over to them. And so what the Apostle Paul does, feeling rather uncomfortable, he says, I know, I'll play their game, but I'll play it a bit differently. So in chapter 11, starting to read at verse 21 and a half, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, you can see how uncomfortable he is about this, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? <gasps> he says, I'm just out of my mind playing this game, but I'm more. And look at what he boasts in. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. Isn't being in prison a sign that you can't stand up and hold yourself in the public sphere? It's not really how to make friends and influence people. I've been flogged more severely. So part of this story is that he was powerless to prevent himself from the evil intent of people who just wanted to crush him. And that's all a spiritual lesson about who he is. 
More than that, five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I've really been put through the mill. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I can't control my travel plans. I can't control road traffic accidents. I can't control my health. I'd like to be able to persuade you that I've come up with the key, that I've got the power, but my life story up to this point has just broken me down to a realisation of just how little influence and control I have in any one moment. Just incidentally, by the way, I remember reading a book by a pastor not so long ago. It was a trendy pastor. Uh, he has since been kicked out of the ministry, but the title of his book was Own the Moment. And it flew off the shelves or onto the Kindles because, oh, yeah, I love the idea that I can own the moment. Do you see that quote life here? Is he owning the moment? No. The moments are crushing. Let's keep going. Verse 26. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. And along with all of that comes the anxiety and the sense of panic. And the, 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 all of that, what am I going to face next? You know, we have this idea that I can face a trial when I'm at my best. No, he would, he would face trials when he was at his worst. He was tired, he was exhausted, he was at the end of himself. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Uh, I have laboured and toiled and have, known, uh, have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he's got the emotional pressure of the ministry that he's been given and he knows he's not up to the task and he knows that any moment it could all fall apart around him. Fast forward to chapter 12, and what's he say? I will boast all the more gladly of all of these things. You realise to boast is to celebrate. It's to lift up. You see, we find that this thorn was given to Paul to stop him lifting himself up. But now what he does is he embraces, he names, and he rejoices in the things that have flattened him. Was it pleasant at the time to not have his prayers answered? Should he not have prayed those prayers? Of course he should have prayed those prayers. But he seems to be rejoicing in what a process that is working out in him that is even more powerful than having what he asked for. Now that really does unsettle me. It really does. Speaking recently with a high-level now consultant who faced some traumatic experiences in an operating theatre, and it just kicked the living daylights out of her. She'd always been competent, she'd aspired to be, she was good at her job and compassionate, well respected in her ward, but after that particular series of events in the operating theatre and having to deal with the families, all of her emotional fortitude just collapsed. It was as if she got to the end of her emotional reserves. And we began to talk and start processing that through. And what had bubbled up within her 
was just an ongoing fear of the next time the buzzer was pressed. You're in a hospital or in an emergency situation where you've got to be at your best to deliver the love and care for the patients who are your charge. When that buzzer goes, will she have enough? She hated it. She would go into work. What happens if I haven't got enough when the moment comes? And after the, a normal day, she would go home and she would be emotionally exhausted. She would uh, struggle with sleep. She would sometimes have panic attacks, quite often flashbacks of the tough incidents that she was facing. And we began a conversation that has gone on for over 18 months working through this. What does she do when the buzzer goes? When that moment of weakness? But strangely, what we've had to think through more is, how do you come to terms with the fact you live in a world and are put in situations where you're never going to be enough when the buzzer goes off? That is an attack right inside of us. It's because we cling to this idea of being enough for the moment, owning the moment, handling whatever circumstance comes at us and twists the knife. And one of the places we got to was simply working through the fact I can find joy when I'm not okay by bringing my weakness to the Lord. You realise in the scriptures, God is uniquely attracted to weakness and neediness. I should add into that when it is confessed and owned. <coughs> now, I don't know some of you have raised little children, and you'll know, all know the phase that all kids go through at one point or another. Almost all of them. They go through the phase of, I'll do it myself. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's the shoelaces. Maybe it's the brushing of their teeth. If it's little girls, at one point or another, it'll be the brushing of their hair. It'll be the turning on the telly. It will be the carrying of the bag. It will be something like that. And invariably, they have overestimated their potential. And invariably, they're headed for a crash. So I remember sitting by one of my daughters who will remain nameless. She had to try to get her shoes on. Of course, she'd left the shoes double knotted the night before when she'd ragged them off her feet. And I just sat there. And so she knew I was there, and she looked on, and she gave her full attention to the ship. I knew what was in her mind. I'm going to overcome this challenge. I'm going to power through it. I will put my shoe on, and I will show Dad just how strong I am. And so I sat there with my arms folded, and I watched, and I waited. A couple of minutes went by. She still hadn't got the knot undone, but I hadn't got the thing on her feet. Another minute went by. And you could see the veins on her head. Another minute went by, and she's shaking. And another minute went by, and she just looked up, and she said, I'm stuck. Can you help? And of course, I responded by, No, you useless little child! How dare you come to me to experience my power and love! Is that how it played out in my house? 
says. He says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Can I remind you if you're a believer in this room today, the place where you first encountered Christ was at your admission of your own weakness. You knew your sins were too great. You knew the wrath of God is scary. You knew that there was something something in you that you knew had cut you off from the living God and you could never draw near to him. And you lifted up your hands and your heart and in weakness you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, draw me into your kingdom. Be my Lord and Saviour. Take over. Let my life be about you. But if you notice how that weakness, much like the Corinthian church, slips away very quickly. What is the Lord's purpose and plan? It is as we march on through life, carry on elevating ourselves, trying to make our life about our priorities, designing who we think we should be. He keeps on putting stumbling blocks, thorns, Terrible sadnesses that lay us low that we may go back to where we started, which is with open hands, saying, Lord, I can't get through this without you. And the promise there becomes, it's not that the Lord's power isn't there and present. It's almost as if we cut ourselves off from it by our pride. We, we keep it at arm's length. I've already said in the last few weeks, the greatest experiences of God's grace will come to you when you are struggling the most. The greatest breakthroughs in your growth and enjoyment of God will come at points where you don't know how you're going to get through the day. And the Apostle Paul says, I've learned this through my story. And I want to bring you Corinthians to a vision dying to yourself, being available to the Lord, and letting his plan do its work in your life for your good and for his glory. This is the only way he has ever done it. Our problem isn't that we are weak. Our problem is that we don't recognise our weakness. All of you can name people who shine for Jesus Christ and the only thing that they all have in common, apart from the grace of God in their life, is their recognition of their own weakness. Power, the pursuit of it, and I've got this, will be a hindrance 
to the power. Weakness is not a hindrance to God's power, it is the gateway into it. So I want to ask you right now, what circumstances and situations have come into your life that you have probably reacted against, you've probably sought some sort of power solution, one of which will be, Lord, take it away because I know the way that this should go and you're not doing your job. What things have come that you cannot not think about? What things have shaped your life in a way that you wish they hadn't? Whether it was a difficulty in a relationship, a job that you should have got, an illness or a, a limitation, some sort of circumstance that has come in, maybe a bully in a prison, maybe a terrible thing in an operating room, maybe something in somebody in your family, maybe a person that you know and you think, my life would be okay if they changed. Maybe a ministry that you try to pursue and you've done all the right things and still the breakthrough hasn't come. So what is that weakness for you? Paul's shift that he's inviting them to, and you and me as well, is to dare to believe that this is opening up to you more power than the Christ who is present. So like my friend, who in prison, who looked the strongest that day? Well, not in worldly ways, but who looked the strongest? The one who rather than magnified beef, building beef upon beef, would pray for his enemies? That's real power. What about my friend who, as she would walk into work or come back to her car at the end of the day, would have to pray and say, Lord, I haven't got the emotional strength for the next day, but I know that you are present and with me. My justification is not my accomplishment and my ability to handle. Give me strength to do what you would have me do. And only weeks after that, she got a promotion. I said to her, I said, wow, what have you been through that the Lord has used to help you get where you are? And she said, if I hadn't been through that, I wouldn't have the same compassion and understanding of those I'm now going to be managing. I would be demanding of them those cruel and crushing things that I have been demanding of myself. He has shaped and formed me. That's power. So what we're to do is list our weaknesses, bring them to the Lord, ask for comfort, yes, embrace them. I can't believe I'm saying this to you. I'm not calling this good that has happened, Lord. But please receive from my mouth thanks that you have exposed weakness in me. It means that I can abide rest in this resurrection power, this new life that I once embraced but want to walk away from because it feels difficult. I remember not so long ago listening to a, a Bible message from Pastor John Piper who was speaking to a, a, a gathering of uh, pastors and church leaders at a, a seminary and a college and he was talking about the things that he liked about that particular college and this is what he said. 
We treasure some amazing things. We treasure the glory of God. We treasure the infallible Bible. And we actually treasure the inevitable gift of a lifetime of suffering. Did you hear that? Wow. Becoming like Christ in his death. Look back quickly at chapter 4. Verse 7, speaking of himself. Everything is glorious about the ministry of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. But in chapter 4 he says this, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, disposable plastic bag which is easily broken. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing, what's that word? Power is from God and not from us. He will be the one who upholds. He will be the one who wins the victory. He is the one. And he does it for his glory and that his ways are better. But notice this. We are hard-pressed on every side. So in other words, there is present pain and struggle, but hope in the midst of it. Those two things dwell together. The, the struggle and the joy and hope. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Do you get that? What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, the accomplishments of the death of Jesus. We are right and connected to the living, living God. But it also means the pattern of Jesus. In other words, our life is being given over to weakness and in the eyes of the world, humiliation. We don't look strong. We don't look powerful. We, we can't get the job done. That's what the death of Jesus looked like. But what did it give way to? And he's inviting them to live that life too. So what will we have to be able to do to be able to boast all the more gladly? Realise you're just in the Lord's hands. You've got ambitions, your money, your relationships, your ministry. Paul says, hold them loosely. And expect that the Lord will bring things along that will wallop you, remind you and the world that you're weak, but in the end, the Lord will be working his power because he abides, he is close, his power rests in his people. I've been greatly moved recently, I'll finish with this, by a book called um, uh, Redeeming Grace. And it's written by a guy called Jerry Sitzer, and in 1991, he was in a he was a professor in Bible College but in 1991. He was involved in a road traffic accident, which simultaneously uh, his mother-in-law, his wife, and his daughter were all killed in. And of course, he went into um, all the emotions that would go that would come at you through that. His life effectively was systematically taken apart. And of course, he was somebody who's good at explaining feelings and experiences, and he's put that into a book. One of those books is called uh, A Grace Disguised. But in this one about redeeming grace, he's focusing on the Lord's work in, in his life through the disaster that he faced. And he talks about this. It is easy to believe this truth 
And the truth is that God works powerfully through adversity. It is easy to believe this truth when it remains an abstraction. It is another matter altogether when facing actual adversity. Abstraction, conviction and genuine belief do not always line up naturally and conveniently. I can imagine what my response might have been if someone had asked me on September 26, 1991, do you believe that God works all things together for good? And do you believe suffering really develops character and leads to hope? I would quickly and confidently have replied, of course I do, but it would have been a theological abstraction. My most certainly, or of course I do, had to work its way into my heart. He says, in September 28th of 1991, I faced a mess of pain and chaos that took time, a very long time, to understand and overcome. And in truth, if that hadn't happened, I would have carried on living my life like a spoiled child. But this option was decisively and permanently eliminated on September 27th. I struggled for many years before I could see any good come out of the accident. Any character formed in me or my children. I'm not even sure what I wanted such good or such character. I rather preferred the life I had lost and I longed to return to the familiar world and the relationships of the past. But then he talks about time. Over time, however, it became apparent to me that God indeed was at work in our lives. That's shorthand of God's power. A new story began to emerge, however unclearly and slowly. It was a narrative that started in darkness but gave way ever so gradually to the dawn and then finally emerged into the full light of day. The scene and the setting had changed to be sure. Much, of my, much to my surprise, that change, as bad as it was, did not keep God from doing his redemptive work. If anything, God proved himself entirely capable of carrying on using what appeared to be broken props and broken people. We simply had to give him the room to work and try our best to maintain faith when there didn't appear to be much reason to. Looking back some 20 years later, I can only express utter astonishment at what God has done. It makes me almost grateful. Get this. For the loss itself, which I find incomprehensible. Some of you have come through thorns, and we wept with you, and we walked with you, prayed with you, but it's been the making of you, because the power of God is very different to what power. Some of you in the midst of things that believe me to feel overcome, can I just tell you? It isn't torture from the Lord, it's training. It's not punishment. It's loving, fatherly shaping. We're going to stand with you as you face what you face. But can I tell you? It's going to be the making of you. Some of you are going to face some thorns that are going to pierce and they're going to cut. And you're going to say, Lord, I wish there was another way. But that's above your pay grade. By the one who went 
to the cross. His grace is sufficient, and this is how we be okay when we're not okay. We dare to boast in anything that has exposed our need, as this God is attracted to those who know their need. Let me pray before we sing. Lord, this is so uncomfortable for us. Who wants to be weak? None of us. Lord, we don't dare to thank you for the things that you didn't remove. We thank you that as you spoke to the apostle and you saw his need and you heard his heartfelt cry, you replied, Oh, why would I take that from you if it will cut you off from my power? Lord, we thank you that it is your intent to help us experience your power, your grace, the fullnesses of the promises of Jesus being used in this generation for your purpose, giving glory before all the heavenly authorities of the fullness and completeness of Jesus. And yet, Lord, it's so uncomfortable. Or for those whose hearts are weary and worn down and they're despairing of life itself, Please, Lord, would you meet them with your power? Would you grant them all they need for life and faith today? And when we, then would you do it again tomorrow? Lord, for those of us who can list things that have flattened us and exposed our weakness, shown that we are not enough, and revealed that we can't take care of business, Lord, we thank you for those difficult moments and the way that it's caused us to lean upon you. Lord, for some of us who are in that battle, not wanting to lay down, Visions of our own uh, designer life, our own power, our own plans. Please, Lord, would you discipline us, Lord, but do it like gently as we die. Lord, we thank you that you're powerful, we thank you that you're present, and we thank you for your loving grace. Please let your power abide with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.